Welcome to Part of Me, the Celebrating Disability podcast. Interviews with disabled people talking about their experiences of being in the workplace, looking at the good, the bad, the amusing, and sometimes the downright ugly. Disabled people bring a wealth of experience and skills into the work environment. This podcast is designed for listeners to understand the benefits of supporting a disabled employee to achieve. Hello and thank you very much for tuning in. There are lots of myths and misconceptions surrounding disability that can prevent an employer seeing the benefits of having a disabled person in the workforce. Within this podcast, we will talk to disabled people from a variety of career backgrounds to discover how they manage their disability at work, sharing advice to managers and other disabled people to ensure inclusion. Hi everyone, thank you very much for tuning in once again. We are just going to get on with talking to our next interviewer, so he, interviewee. So he's going to start by introducing himself. So hello. Hello, Essie. Uh, thank you for inviting me to participate in this conversation. Not at all. Thank, thank you very much for agreeing to um, be an interviewee and to be part of the conversation. So I'm Roman Chesters and I run my own company which is called Luminate and I'm a disability development consultant. Oh, brilliant. Excellent. So can you explain to us a bit more about what Luminate does? I work with three target areas. So I work with uh, adults who have become disabled later in life and mm-hmm. want to normalize that situation, whatever that means to them. For many of them, it's about uh, remaining in employment or going back into employment. And so I coach them. Uh, for a lot of people, it's about regaining confidence, acquiring upstate skills, and so on and so forth. My second target area is working with organisations that want to become more disability aware, disability friendly, disability confident, okay. provide training and consultancy to them. And my third uh, target area are organisations that support people with disabilities, so places like Scope, Mencap and so on and so forth, and uh, I deliver training for them as well. Brilliant. So, I mean, we've, I mean, it sounds like you're really busy, actually. We've talked to quite a lot of other people regarding um, disability consultancy as in supporting businesses to be disability confident. So, do you mind if we talk a bit more about your work with supporting people who have acquired a disability? Sure. Um, so, can you, you kind of just explain a little bit about what that means and what acquiring a disability means for people who may not have heard the term before? Uh, It's an awful term. For me, acquiring means purchasing. So (laughs) if I went online, saw the disability, thought, yes, it's the right colour, right size, next day delivery, there'll be no return or refunds, but (laughs) that one. And whoopie-doo, there you are, you're suddenly disabled. It's it's a a process um, that many people, as I say in later life, who become disabled have to go through, and it's partly a grieving process. Mm for the life that they had and the expectation that they will not be able to have that life again, obviously depending on the nature of the disability that they now have. Yeah. It's also about regaining self-confidence. 
becoming disabled can have a massive impact on one's self-confidence, mm. particularly, again, in terms of employment. If your employer turns around and says to you, actually, we don't think you can do the job that you were doing anymore, yeah. massive blow. So it's yeah. regaining, going through the grooming process, regaining self-confidence, and if necessary, exploring what skills and attributes the person has that they can further develop to make themselves attractive to the workplace. Yeah. And as, as you and I know, Essie, for many disabled people, we have a, a, an acquired um, degree of resilience because of the barriers and hurdles that we have had to face, which we do people who don't have a disability um, do not uh, understand. And it's making employers aware of the fact that we do have that degree of resilience and that as a rule uh, people with disabilities are a lot more um, faithful to employers yeah uh, they stay longer in with a particular employer than people with dis without disabilities do yeah. it's all of that kind of stuff about boosting uh, the person with the disabilities confidence and saying that they are still um, attractive to employers that a person with a disability can still have ambitions and achievements. I say when people ask what I do, I say I'm the person who helps the person in the wheelchair climb their highest mountain. Oh, that's a really nice way of putting it. Metaphorically speaking, because I'm a, if you saw me physically, I am not a mountain climber. <laughs> everybody, everybody, whether you have a disability or not, everybody has their mountain to climb. Absolutely. With disabilities, it might be climbing, learning how to climb it in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. And there's, there's, I mean, there's so much around in the HR world at the moment about strength-based interviewing and strength-based employing, and it's so important, as you said, to see the strengths in some people. And I think, you know, another another area that you were talking about that I just want to touch upon really quickly as well is, you know, people because of people's perceptions of disabilities and people's perceptions of the stereotype when they themselves become disabled, you know, it must be quite hard for them to see past that perception and see themselves as quite a worthy, worthwhile person. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, brilliant. That sounds really good. Thank you very much, Roland. So can we talk about you specifically for a while? Um, so are you able to tell us about, do you prefer the term impairment, disability? How do you like to phrase it? Although I don't like the word disability uh, because of its connotations, mm -hmm. um, it is an accepted term and it's the one that I prefer to use. Okay, okay, brilliant. Are you able to tell us about your disability and how it affects you in the workplace? So, coming up for 12 years on the 1st of September 2006, after two years of becoming increasingly unwell, losing the use of my arms, legs, ability to speak and so on, I was eventually diagnosed as having HIV mm -hmm. and my histophagic illness was progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy, which is a brain disease, which in my case affected the cells at the base of the brain, which cover the motor skills, hence my paralysis. Yeah. I was working as a civil servant in Westminster at the time, um, but was off work on sick leave for five months. Um, sexual health records kept separate and confidential to other health records, so my employers were only told about the encephalopathy and not the rest of it. And so I had to 
I didn't have to, but I chose to tell my immediate line manager on my return to work that it wasn't only the incapacity, but it was everything else as well. And that's when it kind of started to spiral out of control. Okay. Well, can, can you elaborate a bit on that? How did it spiral out of control? My, my, my line manager, who was a friend, and advised me with my best interests at heart, I know, to not tell anybody else about the HIV and AIDS. So I managed a small team of people. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I complied with what she suggested because the time was all new and I was unwell and so on and so forth. The people that I managed could clearly see that I was recovering from the encephalopathy. I was regaining use of limbs and so on and so forth, but they didn't know about the rest of it. And the psychosocial impact of being told that one has two weeks to live, which is what I was told at the time of my diagnosis. Wow. And the reevaluation of priorities and so on and so forth. So when my team would come to me with their daily issues about whose turn it was to make the tea and so on and so forth, all I felt like doing was slapping them around the head and telling them that life is too short, which is not good management practice. No, I am told. no. <laughs> and it became very frustrating for them and very frustrating for me. Mm. And eventually I told my line manager they need to know. Yeah. Uh, she was quite reluctant uh, for that to happen because I think she was concerned that they would turn around and say, you should have told us so we could have taken precautionary measures. But we went ahead with it, we had a meeting, um, my line manager brought in some heavies from HR just to make sure nobody got beaten up. Thank you. It absolutely fine. These are intelligent adults. Um, there were no recriminations, uh, there were some hugs and tears, but that was all fine. But it still continued to be a difficulty for me to manage people. So I said to the front office, I, I, uh, this moment in time I have to focus more on managing my health, mm -hmm. my life, and less on managing people. Mm -hmm. And the Foreign Office said, no, you're uh, great, you have to manage people. If you can't manage people, then we fill that form for you to just send the bottom for you to take early time on medical grounds. Oh my gosh. So effectively they were saying that at that age, and because of my circumstances, I was of no longer of any use to society. Yeah, yeah. And that's wow. when I turned around and decided that I wasn't going to have this anymore. I'd lived in too many shadows for too long as a gay man to want to live the rest of my life in the shadows of HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. So uh, I came out, I suppose you could say. I uh, organized a, a lunchtime briefing session in the Foreign Office, invited Chance Against Trust, primary charity in the UK that um, is on looks after people living with HIV and AIDS, okay. to, to come in and give a lifetime briefing. I put posters up around the office saying that I was organizing, organizing this event because I was a colleague living with a condition. Here's my contact number. Mm -hmm. Posters were slashed. Uh, oh posters God. were defaced, graffitied. Some were torn off the walls and walked on. My line manager removed some before I could see them because she said they were too distressing. Yeah, wow. And so I joined uh, the union, uh -huh. um, and you started coming with me to the discussions I was having with HR about my future. Um, and it took two years for uh, Foreign Office to agree, eventually, to me dropping down a grade to a level 
where there were no management responsibilities, mm -hmm. but that they would continue to pay me the higher level salary. Mm -hmm. So that, in effect, became my reasonable adjustment. Yep. And I was tremendously grateful for that and very happy to continue working with the Foreign Office. I became chair of the Disabled Staff Network and was able to secure changes to policy that meant that more uh, colleagues living with disabilities were felt more confident about being open about their disability and what they needed to have put in place to enable them to achieve what they wanted to achieve. Yeah. I stayed with the Foreign Office for another eight to nine years um, and we ended on very good notes. I think it's been a learning curve, a steep learning curve for both of us. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. Excuse me. <clears throat> There's so much in there to unpack, um, but for the, you know, for, because we, we don't have an awful lot of time. There's a, just a couple of things that I want to talk about that you were talking about that I want to bring out from them. So just the, I mean, to begin with, just the, um, your, the people that you work with, the people that you manage, they seem to be very much, um, you know, well, you're still Roland and it doesn't change anything for us. Yeah. Um, but the assumptions was that they were going to not reflect like that at all. Yes, indeed. And I think those assumptions, you know, for me, um, those assumptions go a lot further to, to create barriers and things than actually the thing itself. Mm. And I don't know, but, sorry. The result was, was sort of beneficial bias that my line manager did what she did because she thought that she was defending me, that she was supporting me, and as I said, to do with all the right intentions, but yeah. not with the outcome that she expected or anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. And so also when you were talking about putting on that seminar, I can't remember what, what you called the seminar, when I was employed um, by an organisation, we called them lunchtime seminars, I think it's a very similar thing. Um, but when you put on a briefing, a briefing seminar, so when you put on that briefing seminar, obviously after all of the prejudice that came with it, how many, was, was there quite a good turnout in the end? Um. There were probably, actually there was quite a large turnout um, and I was astonished that so many people were interested. This is in light of the fact that the Foreign Office at that time, I don't know where they still do, had a tripartite policy with DFID and the British Council okay. to support people living overseas with HIV. Okay. Um, and it, it's a degree of hypocrisy in that they were doing that for people living overseas but actually couldn't support one of their own Absolutely, no, absolutely. I mean, that, I mean, you know, I mean, that's another thing that you know, if we had more time, we could spend hours unpacking. But just the pure level of you know prejudice and um, lack of empathy from from the people that you worked with is quite astonishing. But not uncommon. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely not uncommon. And this condition is is. Uh, alongside perhaps mental health is one of the most stigmatized disabilities that we, we still have. Yeah. What do you think the barriers are that you face due to your condition? Things, well, the stigma to start off with, mm -hmm. um, which means, and the stigma is a, it's a circular stigma. People living on the whole choose to not be open about it because they are concerned about 
the impact mm. of, of declaring their status to other people. And so, because the majority of people may not know somebody who's openly living with a condition, the mythology still continues to surround the condition. And um, ignorance breeds fear, and fear breeds stigma. Yeah. So that's one of the, the, the biggest issues. Certainly, uh, that has an impact on mental health. Uh, so people, the HIV community in the UK has a 30% higher suicide rate than the rest of the population because of the impact that stigma has on mental health. Yeah. And then there's, as with many other conditions, the, the side effects from medication, uh, which can be quite um, nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also things like uh, fatigue and uh, anything that goes along with a chronic medical condition fluctuating chronic medical conditions. So there are days when I feel on top of the world. And then other days when not so much. Yeah. Uh, for an employer it's difficult because there are days when I would be obviously more productive than other days. And I can't tell I can't forecast which day will be productive and which won't be less productive. Yeah. Absolutely. And from an employer's perspective that's difficult. But at the same time, I brought, I eventually I ended up working as diversity and quality officer in the foreign office, and so I brought that role of perspective that probably nobody who has not gone through that experience and is not living with a disability mm-hmm. will be able to bring to it. Yeah. Well, absolutely, it goes back to what you were saying right at the beginning about the resilience that disabled people have and the yeah. ability to problem solve. Yeah. And to, you know, not to be able to foresee, but to forecast what happens in certain situations. Yeah, have backup yeah. plans in place. Absolutely, absolutely. So just moving on to any, um, to the advice section of the interview. So if you were to offer advice to, let's, let's actually offer advice to employers employing somebody with a health-related condition, um, what do you think it might be? I think the most important thing is communication. Yeah. Keeping channels of communication open. Okay. Making sure that your employees uh, are working in a culture which encourages them, supports them to feel confident in coming forward to talk about any disability issues. and not shutting down those channels of communication when things get difficult. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what about the advice you would give to a disabled person in the workplace? Again, I think it's it's about being confident, knowing your rights, obviously it's your legal rights, Mm -hmm. um, but not relying solely on those. Mm -hmm. Um, Identifying who are your friends, your supporters, the people that care about you in the workplace, putting in place those backup plans for those days when you aren't able to function as well as you would like to, and discussing all of this with your line manager, okay. making sure that people in the line of management are fully aware. Yeah. Okay. 
I mean, I guess for me, I mean, I guess on this podcast and on this interview, you come across really confident, and I can imagine the days where you don't feel very confident at all, as with me, I think I come across a lot more confident than sometimes I am. Um, but obviously not all disabled people are going to have the confidence to, to be able to go out and find that help themselves and to talk about those things. So what extra pieces of advice would you give to people who perhaps don't have that confidence to begin with? Or can't put that across. I think reaching out to your peer community. Okay. Um, Obviously, I I speak from the experience of living with HIV. um, Absolutely. And there are resources out there to help people newly diagnosed or people who've been been living with it for a longer period of time. To, uh, for example, peer mentoring. Yeah. Voluntary peer mentor. Um, There are support groups. There's information networks and so on and so forth. So realizing that you are not alone yeah. in facing the issues. Obviously, your issues are yours, but there is a similarity, uh, a commonality with other people living with the same condition. So making sure that you are fully informed, fully aware, fully supported by people in your community. I think that's really making, um, making sorry making full use of all the resources that are available. Yeah, no, I think that's really good advice, and I think that that's really, really helpful for people. And I think for certain people who perhaps don't have can't don't have the community with people with the same disability as them, or the same impairment, or the same health condition as them, reaching out to people of similar situations is also very helpful. Um, so it doesn't necessarily always have to be of the same impairment or the same health condition. It's just about yeah. having somebody that goes through similar experiences than you. Absolutely. Yeah. To kind of um, problem solve and kind of bounce ideas off, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. One of the one of the biggest things that I found gave me back my confidence and so on was actually volunteering in the sector. Okay. And realizing that however difficult your life may be at the moment there are always people out there whose lives are even more difficult yeah yeah absolutely helps to put things a little bit in perspective doesn't it indeed yeah brilliant thank you okay we're going to change a bit of the note of the questioning again and we're going to talk for a minute about um you as a consumer um, so, Roland Chester is as a consumer of buying a service or products from a business. So, what would you say would you be your biggest challenge or your biggest barrier in that area? Well, for me, as a result of the incredible happy, I am now dyspraxic. Okay. Uh, and for me, dyspraxia affects me uh, essentially in two different ways. One is, is balance. So I have a tendency to bump into things and fall over and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But also in information overload. Um, and so if I go into, say, a department store and there are lots of different signs or lots of different information and it's too much, I can't absorb it all, I can't take it in, it's overwhelming, I will leave. Yeah. Equally, where the signage is unclear or insufficient or hidden, as often happens, mm-hmm. then again I get frustrated and I will leave. So they've lost a potential customer. 
Absolutely, and, and you know, as we all know, the purple pound is so much money, um, and it's you know if you lose a potential customer for that sale, you're losing them for the rest of their life as well. Yeah. Um, so, what would you, what would be your solution to that issue for a business? I think if business reaches out to their local community of disabled people and asks them yeah. what they can do to make sure that what they are offering you, whether it's goods or services, are fully, I hate the word accessible, but that people with disabilities um, can fully benefit from whatever it is that they are offering. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose, you know, if you hate the word accessible, maybe um, fully inclusive and people can feel yeah. fully welcomed yeah. in the business as well. I completely agree. Yeah. Great. And as we said earlier, just not making assumptions. Yeah. I think that's so... Every, sorry. Every, every person's, every disabled person's experience of their disability is different to mm -hmm. every other disabled person's experience even if it's the same disability. Mm -hmm. So don't make an assumption that just because you have managed to make your goods or services um, inclusive for one disabled person, every other disabled person will also be able to access that goods or services. Obviously you can't change it for every person with a disability, but just being aware that disabilities affect people in different ways. Yeah. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. So we're nearly at the end of the interview today. Is there anything else you would like people to know? Uh, I am an author. Oh, I've wow. written my one and only book, uh, which is called Ripples from the Edge of Life, that was published in May of this year. Um, and whilst it uh, is the story of, of my diagnosis, it also includes the stories of 13 other people living with a condition who were diagnosed between 1982, so right at the beginning of the AIDS mm. crisis, um, up until 2015. Wow. One of, one of the interesting things looking at all of those stories is the, the, the theme that runs to all of them as I said before is stigma and yeah. the impact that that has on mental and indeed physical well-being. And where can people get hold of this book? It's available on Amazon, or people can purchase a copy from my website, which is illuminate.uk.com. Excellent. So what we're going to do is we go, when I publish this blog, I will add links to the Amazon page and also your website so people can find out more about the work that you do. Thank you very much. Um, well, thank you very much for your time today, Roland. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, and it's been really, really interesting hearing your, I don't, well, I suppose it is a story. I try to stick away from the word story, but hearing about your experiences um, and the advice you'd give to people. So thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Essie. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Part of Me, the Celebrating Disability podcast. For further information on any of the topics raised or to share your own experiences, please get in touch by emailing essie.hardy at celebratingdisability.co.uk or calling 01256 578 016. You can also find more information at www.celebratingdisability.co.uk.